We will be continuing in our study of the book of Ephesians. We have been spending time in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. That's where we've been camping out for many weeks now. Uh, We've been looking at the spiritual blessings that all believers, all true believers have, which also simultaneously represent the works of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our salvation. Last Sunday, we took a close look at the mystery of God's will in verses 8 through 10. Um, I'm still mystified by that scripture because it is mysterious. God's will is. It was cool. I hope you were blessed. Uh, This morning, we're going to focus on inheritance. Inheritance. And we're going to look at that in verses 11 and 12. Inheritance in verses 11 and 12. And I think that's the, I don't know, maybe the sixth blessing or whatever. We're getting close to the end of them, actually, friends. We only have, I think, after today, one more to look at, and then we begin to move into the rest of the book. But in any case, we're looking at inheritance 11 and 12. Let's pray before we get to work. Father, Uh, We beg of you to open our hearts and minds, send the Holy Spirit in power that we may be able to understand the truth, more particularly the truth of chapter 1, verses uh, 11 and 12, our inheritance. I pray that we would come to a deep, deeper knowledge of what that is and what that means, what Christ has secured for us. Uh, what you have given us through Christ, in Christ. And so make that happen this morning, Lord. May uh, your word not fall upon deaf, uh, dumb, stuffed up ears. May we hear with our ears and understand with our minds and understand with our hearts and be changed by the power of your word through the influence and power of the Holy Spirit that we might become a different people, more like Christ. We give you this time and pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read the text together. I'll read it out loud. You can follow along. Again, Ephesians 1, uh, verses 11 through 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of of his glory. Now there are many many things that we can observe in the text. I'm sure far more than I could ever probably begin to uncover in a single lifetime because God's word is a multifaceted diamond. It has really one meaning at times, but there's a zillion ways to look at that and to flesh that out. But I have identified seven things that I'd like for us all to notice from 11 and 12, just seven things. It's basically just the verse, the verses broken up into seven pieces that we'll look at. You might want to be ready to write these things down. They're pretty important. We can look at the first one. Number one, very simple, beginning of the verse, in him. Stop right there. In him. Uh, in him, if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, you might be wondering what he's, who he's speaking of. And if you have been with us for a couple of weeks and not paying attention, you might want to know who he's speaking of. If you've been with us for a couple of weeks and been taking short naps during the sermon, you might want to, right? 
in him. Who is in him? It is a reference again to the beloved, right? End of verse 6. From the end of verse 6 where he says, blessed us in the beloved, he now refers to the beloved as in him like four times in the rest of the passage, all the way up through 14. So he is speaking of the beloved, and we've already learned weeks and weeks ago whom the beloved is, and that is Jesus Christ, the beloved, God's only begotten beloved son, God's beloved son, the one whom he is well pleased with, right? We've studied all of that stuff, so we're talking about the beloved, we're talking about Jesus Christ. Most of us can figure that out. Now, I think Paul's point, again, is yes, to point to the beloved, but it is to stress once again that these spiritual blessings that we've been looking at throughout this beginning of this chapter, they are only in Christ. They are only in the beloved. He, he keeps saying in him as a reference to the beloved, but also to remind us that you're not going to find true spiritual blessings anywhere else. They're only in Christ, only in him. No other religious leader or religion or your own personal good deeds and works, none of these things can actually produce or deliver true spiritual blessings. They are only in Him. They are only in Christ. They are only in the Beloved. So if you want, if you desire spiritual blessings, (laughs) you must come to Christ because He alone is the source of them and for them. You're not going to find them in other means, in other ways, in other paths. All paths do not lead to heaven. All religions do not lead to heaven. All religions do not lead to Christ or to spiritual blessings, although people might get a sense of some sort of blessing in them, some euphoria at times in these things, but they're all false, and the devil is really, really good at duplicating these things and selling us a lie And so they're only in Christ, and so you must come to Christ, and you must enter into Christ through faith, through faith, believing that He is the only source for these spiritual blessings, believing that He is the only Savior to this world. There's no other Savior, there's no other source for the blessings. You must be willing to turn away from every false source and false Savior. You cannot be in Christ and receive the spiritual blessings, and at the same time, be in Buddha, be in Mohammed, be in Islam, be in any religion or any self-effort or any of these things or any one. You have to repent of that idolatry and that self-sufficiency and that reliance, reliance on false things and false people and false gods in order to enter into Christ and these things and to receive all that Christ has in Him, which is a storehouse immeasurable. It's just incredible, the blessings that he has in him. And so, so it's in him, right? We get that. It's only in the beloved. It's only in Christ. Secondly, and I'll just like keep adding to the verses so we sort of end up reading them all the way through. In him, next, what? We have obtained. In him, we have obtained. Our focus here, have obtained. This is strikingly similar to what Paul wrote in verse 7, in him we have. He's saying here, in him we have obtained, back a little bit before that, a few verses before that, in him we have. Paul is again referring to something that we possess. 
at the beginning of this verse 11. It's something that we have obtained. It's something that we have. It's something that we possess. It is not something that we can have. It is not something that we will eventually get. It, it actually is something that we have obtained. Now, I, I would obviously caution that there are aspects of it, or maybe we won't experience the fullness of it until the future, but that, that makes it no less ours in the present. It's like it's been stowed away for us, waiting for us. So it is ours. This thing that he's going to talk about, it is ours. It is something that we have. It's something that we have obtained. It belongs to us. It is our possession. Every true believer owns it. If you are in Christ, it is yours. You have obtained it. You must know this. You must, this, this is the context of what he's about to tell us that we have. So important. It's only in Christ and we have obtained it. It is ours. It is our possession And some of these will go faster than others because they're really simple, right? Three, in Him we have obtained what? An inheritance. An inheritance. Now, there are several ways to translate inheritance here in this text. Uh, There's, I guess, at least two that I've been looking at. First, it could be, inheritance could be a reference to the church as Christ's inheritance. Christ is to receive a glorious inheritance, okay? He earned it through His life, death, burial, and resurrection. He has something coming to Him because of what He did. He's earned it. And every true believer is His possession, His inheritance, part of His inheritance. The church is literally, this is what the Bible teaches, the church is literally an inheritance gift from the Father to the Son. In the Old Testament, the Israelites are referred to in many places as God's inheritance. They are the people of God's inheritance. And it is similar with the church. The church is Christ's inheritance. And I would say so is Israel. So there's a nice little Old Testament, New Testament parallel. In the Old Testament... The people of God, the Israelites, are God's inheritance. Well, guess what? The church is Christ's inheritance. So inheritance here could be translated as Christ's inheritance. Even though that is absolutely biblical and true, I don't think that that is what Paul was shooting for here at all. It is true, but I don't think it was what he was aiming for here. Paul has been doing what? He has been unpacking the believer's spiritual blessings in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. He's been telling us about what the Father has done for us and what Christ has done for us. And again, next week, he'll tell us about what the Holy Spirit has done. And what has he been telling us about? Our blessings in Christ and so on. So, the second way to translate inheritance, it could be a reference to what we possess, to what we own to what we have obtained, to what we have, to what is ours. Look at the text again. It says, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. It does not say, in Him we have become an inheritance, does it? Yes, the church is the inheritance of Christ, but I don't think that's what Paul is pointing to here. Which interpretation fits better 
with the totality of this passage, talking about the blessings, talking about what's been given to us, talking about what we possess. I have no doubt that Paul was referring to what the believer has, not what he is. Right? That's the way you want to look at it. It's not about what the, who the believer is, the inheritance. It's about what he has, an inheritance. Listen to the late, great Charles Hodge. As the Israelites of old obtained an inheritance in the promised land, so those in Christ become partakers of that heavenly inheritance which has been secured for them. That's his spin on that verse. And I think that's highly accurate. I I think the context completely supports that translation. So what is the inheritance that Christ has secured for us? What shall we inherit What has God set aside for us? What belongs to us? What have we obtained? That's the million-dollar question. I'm sure that it's already probably you were starting to think about that. Well, what is it that we have? Well, I have several verses and things that we have that are coming or that are part of our inheritance. Number Number one part of our inheritance is that we shall inherit eternal life. We don't often think of eternal life as being part of our inheritance But part of this inheritance that Paul is talking about here is the fact that we will live forevermore, ever and ever and ever, no pause, no end, in the glorious presence of God. Eternal life, to live in His presence forever and ever, everlasting bliss, joy, happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction, these things. Matthew 19, 29, and It says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers, this is Jesus speaking, or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will have a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And it just says it as plainly as you can. Eternal life is a position for us, but it's also part of our inheritance. Very important that we understand that. Very important that I have coffee. Secondly, what else shall we inherit? Secondly, we shall inherit the earth. Now, when I read that or thought about that and wrote that down, I thought, well, that doesn't sound like it's such a great thing. Because when I do what I shouldn't do and watch the news or read articles and these things, I see that this world and this earth is is filled with every form of sin and debauchery and death and destruction and cataclysmic events and natural disasters and all of these things. And, and so, for crying out loud, aren't I supposed to set my sight on heaven and, and pray for the day that I get there and woo and rejoice in that, that I'll be taken out of this nasty earth and, and leave it all behind and I won't have to deal with it anymore and no more tsunamis or hailstorms while you're trying to camp? Well, what we're not talking about that earth. <laughs> we're talking about a new one. We're talking about a fully restored one. We're talking about an, a, a, an Eden type of earth, one that's been completely, holistically, fully redeemed. That's what we're talking about. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Part of our, as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as adopted sons and daughters, part of our inheritance is to receive this earth. It will be ours. 
at least for a thousand years in the millennial kingdom. And it will be changed when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom, and it'll be a wonderful place. We will have a restored dominion over it. It'll be awesome. But I think all of us would agree that right now in its current state, I'm not sure that that's much of a gift. Imagine when the things that are happening will no longer be happening and there is peace and harmony. It'll be a wonderful thing to possess. And it is part of our inheritance. How awesome is that? Pretty cool. Third, we shall inherit the kingdom of God. We shall inherit the kingdom of God. Matthew 25, 31 to 34, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered, and we're talking about final judgment, before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats and He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on the left. Then the king shall say or will say to those on his right, come, you, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The kingdom of God, this eternal life, the earth, the kingdom of God, these three things, these things, they are part of our inheritance. I don't know about you, but when I was studying this, I started to get just a little glimpse of the bigger picture here that what God has set apart for us is really and truly incredible. It's not just a supper table with all kinds of delectables, golden streets, playing football like that dumb song said, you know, remember that? I can't sing the lyric, I won't, it doesn't belong in any church. This is, this is magnificent what God, what Christ has secured for us, what God has provided. Eternal life, the earth, His kingdom, these things belong to us. Fourth, we shall possess or shall inherit position. Talked about these things a couple of weeks ago, but it's good to refresh our memories on them. A, we will be made co-rulers in the millennial kingdom. We will rule with Christ, Revelation 3.21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. We're actually going to be able to sit with Christ alongside of him as he rules and we will be rulers, co-rulers with him in the millennial kingdom. So we inherit position. And that's fantastic if you're, you know, boiling fries in oil and you don't feel like your life is going anywhere. I boiled fish my very first job at Long John's. It was pretty gross. The benefit was they had a tap of beer there. I was a young teenager. Do the math. Never got caught, never got fired. Have no idea why that entered into the sermon. But think about it. We are people of position now, and some in low positions and medium positions or high positions, at least, at least in terms of this earth, but it would be very easy to be discouraged with where God has you in a sense because you don't feel that, well, I think I'm destined for something more, I could go beyond this and blah, 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 blah. Isn't that a game that we play, always seeking approval position in these things? But we ought not to be so focused on them in this life because in the future, our inheritance says that we shall have a position 
that quite frankly, no one in this room, including me times a thousand, could actually earn in this life. I'm not going to be a governor or a president. Would you vote for me? Right now you would, right? Yeah, you've got position coming. B, we will be made co-regents. We talked about this in the millennial kingdom. Co-ruler, co-regent means you judge. You're a co-judge. That's phenomenal. 1 Corinthians 6, 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? See, we're talking about our possession. We're talking about our inheritance. Part of our inheritance is that we have position, co-rulers and co-judges. This is amazing. You're going to you, you think the Supreme Court's a big deal now? You're going to be part of the millennial Supreme Court. That's pretty cool. Uh, fifthly, we will inherit rank. We will inherit rank. No longer will we be fry cooks. We will actually be made higher than the angels. We talked about that a few weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 6, 3, do you not know that we are to judge the angels? What? Yeah. As I said, we should not live in such a way that we minimize what God has provided for us, what is ours, what we have obtained. It is all of these things and so much more because Scripture says no eye has seen or can imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. It's, it's an amazing thing we have. I like how John MacArthur put it. He wrote, In Christ, believers inherit every promise God ever made. Boy, that just blows it wide open, doesn't it? That's incredible. That's incredible. Every promise God ever made, that is part of our inheritance. We receive every promise He ever made. And boy, I'd encourage everyone myself and any of us just to go back through the scripture and look at this look at our God and how he's a God of covenant and has made promises and these things and they're all ours they're all ours let's talk about a few specifics about our inheritance the obvious our inheritance is obtained in Christ it's only in him you can't find it anywhere else right that is Ephesians 1 10 through 11 It's just in Christ. That's how it's obtained. It's in and through Christ. Our inheritance is not given to us on the basis of our obedience to God's law. Okay, so it's not like the inheritance can be yours if you fulfill all of His law and do everything that He said and follow those Ten Commandments perfectly and the Decalogue and every other law that He's given. That's not at all what is requisite to the inheritance. It's just faith. Romans 4, 14 to 16 says the inheritance is not based upon God's law. It is based upon faith. This is massive because many of us get wrapped up in this idea that we've got to earn from God and we've got to seek out and please Him and try to get His favor and try to get His blessings and try to get these things. And what the cross says is I've given you all that you'll ever need. And the cross also says the only thing, part, that you played in this whole situation was that you sinned and caused him to have to go to that for you. That's it. 
It's not given to us based on our obedience or based on God's law. It's given to us based on faith in who? Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the guarantor of our inheritance. We're going to look at that, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. His presence in you is the proof that you have it. The seal of it, as it says in the following verses. The Father has made us to be partakers of the inheritance. Colossians 1.12, idea. You didn't do it. The Father did it. He planned it for you back before the foundation of the world. He has made you to be a partaker of it. You didn't make yourself to be a partaker of it. Another thing, our inheritance is a reward Now, that's an interesting one. It almost sounds like we have the potential to earn a reward from God. That's not what Colossians 3.24 says. It says you will be rewarded with an inheritance for serving Christ. It doesn't mean that if you don't serve Christ, you won't receive an inheritance. It just simply means that those who serve Christ receive an inheritance, will receive an inheritance. And who is it that serves Christ? Those who are in Him. So it is a reward For serving Christ, for knowing serving Christ, I suppose. Our inheritance is eternal, right? That makes total sense. We're talking about eternality. Hebrews 9.15, our inheritance is forever. It keeps going and going and going. It has no end. It doesn't run out. The money can't run out in this inheritance. The gold never runs out. It doesn't run out. We don't have to worry about spending too much. God's grace has been lavished upon us. Our inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, and reserved for us in heaven. 1 Peter 1.4, we had our beloved sister in Christ and my sister-in-law read that text for us earlier. It's stored for us in heaven and it is not affected by sinners' uh, uh, tumultuous universe or any of these things. That's the nature of our inheritance. Pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, number four, the fourth thing we can glean or pull from this text. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, right? Having been predestined. Having been predestined. In verse 5, we read a little bit ago that God predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Christ. Here we see that God also predestined us unto an inheritance. That is what he is saying. Before the foundation of the world, God predestined, means preplanned, to adopt us as sons and daughters through Christ, and he also predestined or preplanned to give us a royal inheritance. And what's absolutely amazing about this is that Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, volunteered to secure this royal inheritance for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's like when they were setting up the plan of salvation for the elect, God said, I'll do these things. Christ said, I'll do these things. And part of what he agreed to do was to come and volunteer his life in such a way that he could secure for us this inheritance that the Father planned in eternity past. You must know, too, because we kind of talked about it a little bit, that Christ also volunteered to secure this inheritance for himself, right? We were predestined to obtain an inheritance in Christ, and Christ was predestined to obtain the church as his inheritance, right? Because we 
have an inheritance coming, but we are also the inheritance of Christ. It's twofold. And, and when I think about that, I've got to go back a verse or two and think about the mysterious will of God again. Wow, that's pretty incredible. God's plan is pretty incredible. This inheritance and how Christ gets it and we get it and, and how it all works out. It's just really, really awesome. And it is mysterious, but it is absolutely true. Fifth, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according, here it is, according to the purpose of him. Let me stop there. According to the purpose of him. Our inheritance was predestined in accordance with with God's purposes, or in accordance with His will, if you will. According to God's purposes is a repeating, a repetitive theme in verses 3 to 14. We've seen this already before as we've studied. It is a statement about God's sovereignty. Paul, again, wants his readers to know that these spiritual blessings are the work of God alone. That He designed them and applies them in accordance with his purposes, not in accordance with man's purposes or actions, not in accordance with what God may have learned in eternity past as he looked forward over the corridors of time and noticed sinners somehow believing in Jesus Christ. God does not learn because he is all-knowing. And God does not look out over the corridors of time because He does not reside in time. He is what we call infinite. You must understand, this is so vital and true, because if you don't understand God's sovereignty in these matters and how He has done these in accordance with His own purposes, you're going to miss the deeper blessings of what God has secured and done for you. If you still are inclined to inject a little bit of man's effort or something in it that we have done, you really miss the fuller depth and beauty of what God has done for us. Know this, know this, know this. Write this down. No decision for Christ has ever persuaded God to take action. In other words, when people, when, you know, if God looked out and he saw people believing, that didn't inspire God to do something for humanity. That's an impossibility. On the contrary, God's action, and this is what our Bible teaches, God's action is what persuades every decision for Christ. Amen? So we must understand that when God works things out according to His purpose, He doesn't look out and factor and weigh and measure and respond to what we're doing or what we might have been doing in the future. He does it according to His own will, according to His own purpose. Whatever it is that He has set out to achieve on earth in creation, He does, he does things and forms things and molds things and moves things in the direction of accomplishing those things. And we're going to talk about that big time in a minute. But he doesn't look and assess like we do. We're constantly looking and listening and trying to figure out how to respond to somebody. And then when they're done, finished speaking, we we now formulate sentences and respond. God has not reacted or responded to his creation that way. That would make him subservient to his creation. God decrees and we live. You will miss the beauty 
of your election, of your inheritance, of your adoption, and all these things, if you somehow, if you somehow try to tie it to what we've done or do or could do. It's got to be all God. Really, I think the way the Scripture puts it is it's either all God or it's all nothing. And, and I'll be the first to admit that I've wrestled for years with that and thinking that somehow God has just kind of put something out there for us and, and it's up to us to embrace it and to receive it. And I don't know, man, when you begin to study this passage, Ephesians 1, you know, 3 to 14, you look at the intricacy of it and the depth of it, and the mystery of it. And, and to me, it's just impossible that it could be some... I hope something happens here. It's so definitive and exact and precise and thorough. To say that God put His only begotten Son on the cross in hopes that some would take the inheritance is the epitome of humanism. I mean, just think about that for a moment. I've secured all of this in hopes that someone does something. I don't know about you, but I would never leave all that I have to, to someone whom I don't love or don't know or hope that they would respond to the stuff properly or whatever. I would never do such a thing. I would have a plan to pass down something to my children. This isn't some loosey-goosey thing. This is, this is the stuff. Now listen to the statement by William Hendrickson. He says, neither fate nor human merit determines our destiny. Boy, it's up to you. If you don't receive Christ, you know, the things that we're saying constantly from the pulpit and all that as if we could determine our destiny. Boy, if you make a couple of bad decisions, you're just out of it. He says, neither fate nor human merit determines our destiny. The benevolent purpose that we should be holy and faultless, sons of God, destined to glorify Him forever, is fixed being part of a larger universe-embracing plan. It's talking about God's sovereignty. Not only did God make this plan that includes absolutely all things that ever take place in heaven, on earth, and in hell, past, present, and even the future, pertaining to both believers and unbelievers, to angels and devils, to physical as well as spiritual energies and units of existence, both large and small, He also wholly carries it out. His providence in time is as comprehensive as is His decree from eternity. That's an amazing statement. I'm not even going to begin to explain it. I hope you understand what it means because I'm barely grasping it. What He said in a much more brilliant way than I did is that it's all God. He set it all up. It's all His he set it all up. He's orchestrating all things, working all things. He pre-planned and predestined for you to receive things, for you to be saved and receive. That's what he's saying. It's not based on human merit, any of these things. We do not determine our destiny. And part of me says, well, then what do we do? <laughs> and how will we be culpable for our sin and all these things if it's already predetermined? I mean, right? These are the things that come to mind. I mean, this is, this is very, very tough. It's very mysterious, and yet God has it all worked out in His mind. And I think sometimes we feel that maybe it's not really fair if He's predetermined for things to, to work such a way and for maybe some to get saved and others who never will be saved and, and all of that. But, you know, then we also 
believe that only those who are saved in the church really serve his purposes. The rest of the world's just lost and going crazy. But that's not at all what Hendrickson has said. What he said is that all of it has to do with fulfilling God's purposes and will. Here's the sting of biblical truth. Even hell does that. We may not like that as people, but it's true. Hell doesn't glorify God. Yes, it does. All things, it says in Romans, will redound for the glory of God, even hell. I can't get that, my mind around that, can you? But it's no less true because I have a finite mind and I can't completely understand that, maybe. Six, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, according to the purpose of God, here we go, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Wow. Is there a chipmunk over there or was that a hiccup? That was a hiccup? Wow. Got a new cartoon character in the church. That was kind of a cute hiccup. So, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, right? Now, if that isn't a challenging statement... If that isn't a mysterious statement, I don't know what is. Our God literally works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now, the idea here has less to do with God ordaining all things. Okay, God is sovereign, so we believe that He has ordained all things. So I'm not refuting that biblical truth. But what Paul is talking about here is a little different than the idea of him just ordaining all things. And for whatever reason, our minds might just go right to that angle on this. What Paul is actually saying here is that God works all things in such a way that they accomplish his will. That is what he is saying. Example, let's say that before the foundation of the world, God predestined to do something, to make something happen. He then takes things that are happening and, and certain events, and He directs and steers them. He even threads them together, weaves them in such a way that they actually end up accomplishing His purposes. That's what Paul is essentially saying here. And I find that to be incredible. And I have seen, and if you study Scripture, you'll see that how God has done that. You know, you look at something that was supposed to happen and then it does happen and then maybe later on the person who wrote that particular text talks about how God brought it all through and made it happen and His purpose in it and all that. Pretty amazing. God actually can take all things and, 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 and take them and work them in such a way that they fulfill His purpose. It's just incredible. I know I can't do that. I am so often confronted by terrible things and I try to take them and turn them into something else and can't do it. Ravi Zacharias wrote a book about this a few years ago called The Grand Weaver. I had to pull it off the shelf and dust it off and dig into it a little bit. He talks about how God weaves together all of our personal experiences, good and bad, to accomplish His purposes for us. It's a great little book. God does the same thing, though, throughout creation. He weaves together all things, both good and bad, to accomplish His purposes. 
One of the things that God is working out in accordance with the counsel of His will is our inheritance. God is using the things we experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to one day bring us into our inheritance. So you must know that nothing in life is wasted. For the Christian, all of life is God's classroom. And many of us would admit that some of his courses are very difficult or confusing and, quite frankly, very heartbreaking. But none of those experiences are wasted, not with God. He allowed them, he brought them, and he is working through them to accomplish his purposes for us. Now we must be cautious. God's will is very broad and comprehensive, all-inclusive. It covers all things. His will is massive when you think in terms of the full redemption of all creation and these things. He's willed to do this and this and this and this and this. And, and so it just goes on and on and on. It's very broad, very comprehensive. But we have to ask, what aspect of God's will did Paul have in mind here? His will for all things? That he's working literally all things out according to the purposes of his will? Yes, in a sense. But I don't think that he really has in mind just the totality of creation, the universe, and all things here. Because Paul has been presenting to us our spiritual blessings, right? I think that it would be safe to say because of the context that Paul was thinking about God's will in regards to our spiritual blessings. I mean, that's the context. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God's will isn't comprehensive and doesn't cover all things. It does. But I think that like a diamond, there are facets to it. There are expressions of it. There are examples of it. And I think because of the context, he's been unfolding what we have in Christ, what's coming to us, what we have and what's coming to us, that he is, he is referring to God's will in terms of our spiritual blessings. Listen to Romans 8 to 8. 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, <laughs> you know, those who are in Christ, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. How many times have we, in the midst of some trial or difficulty, gone to that verse and said, okay, somehow this is for my good? Well, that's what the text says, right? It says that God basically, essentially, works all things for our good. In similar fashion, my friends, Ephesians 1.11 says that God is working all things according to the counsel of His will, which is what? To bless His adopted sons and daughters with spiritual blessings. To bless us with all the spiritual blessings of Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 and beyond, as MacArthur put it, every promise God ever made. Now the specific spiritual blessing of focus here is what? Inheritance. So what are we reading about here? This is what we're reading about here. God is literally weaving and working all things according to the counsel of His will, which is to bring us into our inheritance. Glory to God. 
Now, how crazy, how absolutely crazy does that sound? That God would be so focused on us that he would be constantly weaving and directing things for our good, for our benefit, and for our blessings. That he would love us this deeply. That he would literally serve us in this way. To me, it sounds absolutely crazy. It sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? But that is what Paul wrote right here in this text. We're not taking anything away from the fact that God is working all things to every one of His purposes. But what Paul is saying specifically is that He is working all things according to the purpose of His will in regards to our spiritual blessings. Highlight blessing our inheritance. Aren't you glad that I didn't write this? This is what God's word to us says. And I might remind us all that when Paul wrote this text, he was under the power, authority, and guidance of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. This is God telling us, I am weaving and working in your midst all the things that you experience, even world events and everything to get you to the place of your inheritance. God is saying this directly to us. It is not crazy and it is not too good to be true. It is God's word. It is true. God loves us and serves us this way. He is focused on us like this. He is weaving and directing all things in accordance with the counsel of his will. And one aspect of his will is to bless us with every spiritual blessing, including a royal inheritance. I love what Matt Houdman wrote about the subject. He said, when we understand and value the glory that awaits us, we are better able to endure whatever comes our way in this life. What is God trying to do here through this text for us? He's trying to give us a big vision here. He's saying to us that, that, that what you have obtained and possessed in Christ And what is coming to you in the future is so big and so broad and so glorious and so wonderful and so satisfying that don't spin your wheels in this temporary life here on earth. I love you this much is what he's saying. I think about you this much is what he's saying. I am working things out for you. That is what he is saying. When bad strikes, say to yourself, God will work this for my good and for my future, right? Because that's what the Bible teaches. When ugly strikes, say to yourself, and I know I sound a little bit like Joel Osteen, but I just preach the word and he never does that. So, when ugly strikes, say to yourself, God will work this for my good and for my future. I'm not lying to you. I'm not a charismatic. 
It's what the Bible, and quite frankly, when charismatics focus on this stuff, they've got it right. When ugly, when bad strikes, go back to Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 and reread it and be reminded of who you are and what you have and what is coming to you because of Christ. When bad strikes, a brother or sister in Christ, say to them, God will work this for your good and for your future. It has a purpose. I know it stinks. I know it's hard. But trust me, His Word says this. When ugly strikes, a brother or sister in Christ, say to them, God will work this for your good and for your future. Because He works all things according to His purpose. And part of that purpose, part of His will is to care for you, to take care of you, to secure you, to give you a hope and a future, to give you an abundant life now, all of these things. This is the love of the Father to the adopted son and daughter. He loves us as He loves Christ. And He has given all things to Christ, which means He has given all things to us. When ugly strikes a brother or sister, bad devastation, tragedy, calamity, Tell them God will work it for their good and for their future. Point them to Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Show them what they have in Christ. Seven. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That's mind-blowing. What? so that we who were first, the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. This was Paul's way of reminding the Ephesians for how to respond to God's goodness, providence, and blessings. How to the praise of His glory. Praise is the rightful response. God desires our praise. He wants us to glorify Him. We do not come out of this setting hearing about these dynamic, life-changing truths, these facts, these realities that God has secured for us. We don't walk out prideful as boastful adopted sons and daughters. We walk out humbled by what He's done for us, praising and glorifying God and sharing the good news of what He has done for us with this lost world. Praise of His glory. The praise of His glory he did the same thing back in verse 6 after presenting our election and our adoption in verses 4 and 5. You were chosen, right? I'm simplifying. You were chosen and predestined unto adoption. How do we respond? Beginning of verse 6 to the praise of His glorious grace. How do we respond to God working all things according to the counsel of His will, which in this text is to bless us and to bring us into our inheritance? End of verse 12, to the praise of His glory. That's how we respond. Calvin wrote, the final cause of our salvation is the praise of His glory. For we must eventually become illustrations of the glory of God 
if we are nothing but vessels of His mercy. Friends, believe this today. Christ has secured for us a royal inheritance. And the Father works all things according to the counsel of His will. And the Father's will is to bless us with every spiritual blessing and to bring us into the inheritance that His beloved Son secured for us. May we praise and glorify the Father, glorify the Son, praise and glorify the Holy Spirit for their goodness and work. Do you believe what the Scripture teaches here? I can't help but believe that if you do, you're going to begin to live differently. Less worry and anxiety about what's going on around us. Maybe you'll have a greater ability to to really come back to Scripture and to say, okay, the reason why these things are happening, the good, the bad, and the ugly is really ultimately to fulfill God's purposes in accordance with the counsel of His will. And part of His will is to take care of me forever and ever and ever. And part of His will is, is, is amazing, and that is the total and absolute redemption of all things. How does that make you feel this morning, knowing... That God loves you that way. I know some of us are wrestling with the idea that it's just, it can't be because I know me. It's better to wrestle with that than to be prideful about it. (laughs) Amen, Colby? It's better to say to yourself, he couldn't. But know that the truth says he does. As Colby says, it is better to enter the house of mourning. You know, this is just one more reason why the gospel is good news. It's the greatest news. Because it involves and includes all of these things that we've been talking about. That this is the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That these are the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. That is the gospel. Now next Sunday, Lord willing, we will look at the last spiritual blessing and the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. I'm anticipating how that study will go and our time together.